Hey, welcome to Biblical Insights. Uh, my name is Pat Fisk. I'm the host. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about what I call the heart of it all. So what is the heart of it all? As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, what is the heart of being a Christian? You gotta think about for a second, what, what does it mean, uh, the heart of it? You remove one part, it doesn't work. You remove the engine out of a car, doesn't work. You remove the battery. What is the heart? Look at us. You remove our heart. What is it? We're, we're dead. You can't exist without the heart in a physical body. So what is the what is the heart of it all when it comes to Christianity? It's the gospel, the good news. To be more specific, John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever who ever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So understand, he didn't come to condemn the world. We were already condemned from the very beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve brought sin and death and destruction into this world, into God's perfect world. But it didn't catch God off guard. And he's like, oh no, I gotta come up with plan B because Adam and Eve, my creation, messed up and believed a lie which some religions, like Mormonism, believe that that lie is the f actual truth, that they can become gods, and they believe that. And then the New Age movement that's going on right now, that's resurging, that's coming back, it's the uh, this second coming of the New Age, uh, that is just being revitalized right now in people like Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra and all this Christian yoga and junk, and I, rephrase, I repeat that, junk that's being brought into the church and that these false teachers and these false prophets are saying that Oh, it's this plus this. Oh, and this and this and that that can bring you salvation. That you too become healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Well, I'm sorry to say that, Christian, but God never promised you the Corvette or the Mercedes or the seven-bedroom house with 13 bathrooms. But what did God promise was trials and tribulations if you follow him. Because remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, they hated me first. So guess what? We're in good company if we're following Christ. 
and they're hating us because guess what? The leader of the pack, Jesus, we're being hated for his namesake. You drop the J-bomb anywhere in public and they're like, oh, you can't do that. You can talk about God, but you can't drop the J-bomb. We can't speak in Jesus' name without being criticized. Oh yeah, here in America, we are so comfy in our uh, <clears throat> three-piece suits, in our white picket fence house, and our little doggy that we take for a walk in his designer little collar. So we're all fine and comfy over here, but over in, uh, let's just say Asia, the underground church. Let's say, how about in uh, Africa? where people are being accused and the churches right now, as we speak, are being burned. People are being murdered because they proclaim the name of Jesus and they won't denounce his name. Christian, I ask you right now, if you can't stand up for Jesus and proclaim the good news in his name while things are relatively good how on earth do you think you can stand up and be a Christian and be a warrior when things get bad if you can't even do it now when things are good oh someone questions you about your faith and you cower we need to stand strong and we need to understand what the heart of the message is. And we need to be able to give an answer to the hope that we believe. Why we believe what we believe. Because without that hope, we're lost. We're no better than the pagans. We're no better than CNN, or I don't want to get political, but we're no better than these individuals that are being ran. They're dupes. They're being ran and influenced by Satan and his little minions. That's all they are. They're little minions for, for, for Satan. So, so the heart of it all is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everyone knows that. That's like John three sixteen is one of the most quoted and, and recognizable verses. But let's go to verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That means we're lost. And you can't save yourself. We not only need a saver, Savior who's willing to save us, but we need a Savior who is able to save us. And we have that in, in one man, in Jesus Christ. So I have a question for you. 
Would you give your kidneys, or one of them, or one of your lungs, to your child if it meant that it might save your child's life? And I could probably say with a resounding yes that most of you would do that. What if you were asked to give up your life for that family member in order for that family member to be saved? It's like like in the military, jumping on a grenade. Would you be willing to jump on a live grenade to save your buddies? What if that life that you were asked to give up was someone you hated or disobeyed everything you said and disagreed with everything and opposed everything that you stood for? Would you then give your life? You have to think about that for a second, don't you? It's easy to say when we're talking about a family member, a loved one, that we would give up our lives, give up a kidney, give one of our lungs to if it meant saving their life. But what if it was a complete stranger? What if it was someone who, like I said, disobeyed constantly, hated you, despised you? Would you still be willing to give a lung or to give your life to save one. A lot of people in the world think or know that God just did just that. Not only did he give his only son, but he gave himself for you and me. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Now being in the form of God, not thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was a curse in the Old Testament to be hung on a tree. Do you realize that the fruit of the tree that God forbid Adam and Eve from eating, that disobedience is what brought death and suffering, sin, into the world. But on Calvary, it was that cross, that tree, that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who eat of me and drink of my blood will be saved, will have eternal life. So that fruit that hung on that tree at Calvary didn't bring condemnation, didn't bring death and suffering into this world. That bread of life that hung on the tree at Calvary 
brought life and brought life abundantly to the believers, to all, but we have to choose. Like in John 3.16, whosoever believes, you have to believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it's the ancient creed. It was Paul. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received. It's Paul saying, it's like, I, I got this too, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, I mean Peter, then by the twelve. Afterward, he was seen by over five hundred brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain until this day. Meaning, these people that have seen Jesus risen from the grave. When Paul was writing this, he says right here, many, the greater part remain to this present. So he could have been called out at any moment and said, dude, I was there. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Any one of these 500 people could have said, yeah, I saw Jesus. I saw seen him hanging on the cross. I seen him die. But I also seen him risen. I serve a risen Lord. I can't go to his tomb and mourn over his grave. Supposed Muhammad had a gravesite. Buddha had a gravesite. Joseph Smith from the, the cult, the Mormons, has a gravesite. Confucius has a gravesite. You can go visit him. But my Lord, he doesn't have one because he's risen. Of whom the greater part remain until this present day. But also some fell asleep. Afterwards, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me. This is Paul, also, as one born out of due time. So, let's look at this John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God's love for mankind is pure and constant. Jesus did not die on the cross to compel God to love us, but because he already did love us. The cross was a result of God's love, not the cause of it. God's love extends to man himself, but not the sins he's guilty of. The doom and judgment of the wicked is the result of their own rejection of God's love. Romans 1, 18-32. Man, is that convicting. That tells you the heart of man right there. That tells you the whole heart of our culture today. John, or Romans 1, 18-32. Man, read that right now and look at our news. Look at our culture in America right now. It is sad. We, we, we live in such a depraved, sad, lost world. 
And it's because of these spiritual eyes that have been blinded and we refuse to bow a knee. Oh, we're going to. Brothers and sisters, we're going to. Everyone is going to bow a knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's whether we're going to do it willingly or it's going to be forced upon you. As for me and my house, I'm willingly bending a knee to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That he gave his only begotten son. We're told in the Bible that Jesus gave his own, his own life for us so we, as believers, can enjoy all the riches and glory of heaven. And I say that as, as, as believers, because if you don't believe and you don't act on that, and make him your Lord and Savior. Yes, you'd lose out. I'm sorry. We, we will live for eternity. Granted, we're going to. There's no, there's no question about it. We're going to live for eternity. It's just where do you want your address? Where do you want that return address? Heaven or hell? You have a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, guess what? I'm going to serve the Lord. The thought here is a sacrifice of Christ. He gave his only begotten son. The, the sacrifice with all the sin and rebellion against God, only Christ could bring us back to him. Isaiah 59.1 Through the giving of himself in Jesus at the cross. That's it. Romans 8.32 Truly, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God bestows such a gift, what will he withhold? When we were enemies... He surrounded his son. He surrendered his son on our behalf. How much will he not do for us? Now we are friends. The mediation of Christ has restored us to that covenant position, that intimate position that we that that Adam walked with. God in the midst of the garden. Do we not yearn for that? That intimate relationship? That intimate fellowship with our Creator? I mean, we can have that, but it's at a cost. We have to give up the world. We can't be in the world of the world and be in Christ. Two opposing forces. Jesus Christ is the sum of all good gifts, countless and unspeakable. There is nothing more precious in the eyes of God than His dear Son. It's absurd to suppose that He will refuse us a lesser gift all, God, all good 
is embodied in Christ. Other blessings are fruits of his tree of life. He is the sun. Other brightness is just beams, is but beams from the sun, S-U-N. The gift of Christ was for the express purpose of opening a door through which all other good things might pass to us. He is the great charter of Christian privilege, the preacher of peace, the ambassador of reconciliation, the channel of divine grace. All things are yours. As we did nothing to deserve this gift of Christ, we didn't deserve this. We deserve the flames of hell. So if we cry out, oh, I deserve this. I deserve what I am. I want what I deserve. Well, guess what? You deserve the flames of hell along with every single one of us. We all do. And it's only by what Christ did on the cross and gave of himself and, and God given his son to us. It's only by that. That we are saved, as we did nothing to deserve this this gift of Christ. So the lesser blessing to enrich our lives are bestowed not according to our deserts, but according to God's free bounty. He gives abundantly, without money and without price. The one condition, <clears throat> excuse me, is to receive Christ. These gifts are all to be had with Christ. Or not at all. If God spared not his own son, what must be what must the unrepentant expect who refuse to obey the will of God and harden themselves in unbelief? Again, Romans 1, 18 32. Turn to him in prayer and employ the persuasive, the persuasive petition for Christ's sake. We need to be on our knees and pray. Ask Christ into your life. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truths. The Holy Spirit, once you are a believer and you've turned your life over, the Holy Spirit will guide you and won't lead you astray if you put Him in the driver's seat and, and we allow Him we allow Christ to rule in our lives. Blessings will come. Yeah, you're going to have trials and tribulations, but that builds character, just like it did in Joseph. Joseph promised him, showed, give him a glimpse of his promise, but Joseph wasn't ready. God had to try him, just like refining gold and silver. He had to get rid of all the junk first. Well, guess what, Christian? We have to get rid of a lot of junk in our lives, too, in order to be all that God called us to be. And he will, if we let him. He will get rid of that dross, those impurities in our lives. He will get rid of those. But we have to allow him and let him take over. 
that whosoever believeth on him. Faith is a great principle of Christianity. Without faith, I mean, we're dead. I mean, we have to have faith. It's not blind faith, but it's faith. Hebrews 1, or 11.1, 1, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith, it is impossible to please him, the Father. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we, as believers, diligently seek him? It's a lot more than just to believe because even the demons believed and they shuddered, but they didn't have that belief, that salvational belief in him. They just believed, they had knowledge of him. They knew who he was. They didn't put trust in him. 30 times in the book of Hebrews, faith is mentioned. 38 times in the book of Romans. So do you think faith, so you really think faith is an important principle in the life of a Christian. Faith makes the believer feel secure in times of temptation. When we're being tried, just know, man, just know that, you know what, we can sum up all of our trials, all of our temptations and our tribulations to lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What Jesus was also tempted, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But he didn't waver. He conquered. So he's a good example. He is the capital, the example for us to follow. Faith keeps us going in times like I said, of tribulation and distress. We need to lean on that faith, lean on knowing that Christ will get us through. He will. Faith is the first of the preconditions of redemption in Christ Jesus. And the last. Take a look at John uh, later. Look at John 15, 5. Not once to the believer is faith not a major part of his or her life. And it should not perish. There's 26 verses in the New Testament that has the word perish. Matthew 18, 14. Even so, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord Jehovah, I have no delight in the death of the wicked. Understand this. Except in the turning of the wicked from his way. And so to live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So he tells us to turn. And he doesn't delight in even the wicked. 
perishing and dying. 2 Samuel 14, 14. For we must all die physically. And we are as water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. And God does not take a life, but has devised plans so that the outcast is not cast out from him. Next, but have everlasting life. No condemnation. God's son was not, was sent not to condemn. His very name was a sign and symbol of safety. He was called Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel, God with us. The world was justly under condemnation. Started back in the garden. It would have sufficiently vindicated the divine justice to have carried out a sentence of condemnation. And the history of all men and religion shows how conscious men were of being under condemnation. How they feared that it would be carried into effect. But God's way, God's ways are not man's ways. And I thank the Lord for that. His love and pity for men found a way by which this condemnation might be averted. His tender mercies are over all his works. This has been shown all down the history of the past. It has been seen in his providential dealings with man. He has so ordered the course of nature that seed time and harvest, summer and winter, etc., etc., etc. Genesis 8.22 Have visited the earth and made it fruitful. He has sent men rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. Acts 14.17 And all this showed his loving care towards his creation. This gracious purpose is seen in redemption. In him sending his son, not to condemn the world, as I've repeatedly said, but there is a further side of this purpose of God, and that is salvation. No condemnation might still have left us, no condemnation might still have left us far from God. There was an actual purpose of the blessing behind or beyond and above this. In God sending his son, it was the world through him might be saved. God could have destroyed, condemned the world without sending his son. But it was necessary in order for the world's salvation that he should come. He came to save his people from their sins. It was sin that lay at the basis of alienation and our condemnation. And Jesus came 
not in wrath, but in love, to save man from it, from ourselves, by taking away in his own sufferings and death the sins of the world. How great was this salvation when he, which he brought. Moses was privileged to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And Joshua to lead the ransomed people into the land of promise. But the Son was sent to deliver the world from the bondage of sin. And bring unto all believers the promise of a heavenly inheritance. God sent the Son, His Son, for this great end. He is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Hebrews 5.9 And He alone could undertake this office, for He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God with men in all the fullness of the divine power. He is God for men. He was sent and came to stand in man's room. He has authority and power to do so. Men died. Men died in him unto sin. Though faith in him they live. And he is a God in men. In those who believe Christ in us, the hope of glory, here is salvation with him in us and us in him. How can we perish? So, let's wrap this up. Number one, consider the greatness of God's love in Christ. He might have destroyed the world. He could have easily destroyed the world and said, you know what, I'm done. As he did at the flood. But he saved eight. But he chose the way of love, which meant the way of self-sacrifice and humiliation. Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by those who heard him. Let this, let his divine love constrain us to faith and willing submission. How shall we best glorify his name? By believing in Jesus. We must carefully not overlook the fact that this passage, John 3.16, reveals that the eternal, which is available to all of us, is located only in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. This means that the eternal life is available only to those who become one with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I live. Yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And that life is now life in the flesh. 
I live by faith towards the Son of God who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. Brothers and sisters, if you were the only person on earth, Christ would have died for you. And every while, think about this, while your sin, my sin, was being nailed through his wrists and his feet. And every lash on his back and by his stripes we are healed those were stripes that we put on him every one of those was our doing the apostle john never lost sight of jesus teaching 1 John 5, 11-13. I'll end with this. And this is the record that God has given, given to us everlasting life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for the fact that you sent your Son. It seems so petty to say sometimes, oh, Christ died Lord, you sent your son and he, he died on the cross for our sins. We, we say that so nonchalant and as a matter of fact. But Lord, just the fact, just the mere idea that you sent your son, your only begotten son, into this world to take the punishment of the cross the lashes on his back the spikes drilled through his wrists and feet for me and for everyone that gift is out there he did it whether you believe in him or not Whether we believe in you or not, Lord, you did this for us. And I thank you, Lord, as you, you reach out that hand for us and you give us that opportunity that we can be sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we can have everlasting life if we choose. And Lord, I just ask that as believers and the possibility of someone not being a believer hearing your word 
that you convict their heart. You open their hearts and you open their minds to your truth, Lord. That life can only be found in you. And that is it. No other place. No, there, is, there is life. No other, by no other name that we have life. Only by you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what your son has done. We thank you for what your Holy Spirit is doing. And we pray now for a supernatural awakening of your creation to reveal the fact that we need you in our lives. As not just being our Savior, but being Lord. Take the reins of our lives. Use us how you see fit, Lord. Just like Joseph, we obviously are not ready. Lord, we ask you to make us ready. Do what it takes for your purpose. We thank you, Lord, and we ask this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.